Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Melissa Salvin, and I'm here with Rachel Woody. We're talking with Norm McKibben of Pepperbridge Winery at Pepperbridge on July 16th, 2014. So to start off, Norm, why wine? Well, I, I was corporate, which was heavy construction for 25 years, and uh, I was on the road. I was covering the whole country as, as president of the non-union side of Peter Kiewit Sons, and so I was on the road five days a week. We had a board meeting every Saturday, and the kids were growing up and leaving home, and they'd pay me too much. And so in 1985, I decided it was time to, to unwind and, and come back to the Northwest, because home office was Omaha for them. And uh, I looked at La Jolla and Tucson, and my wife said, you're going to Walla Walla. So we did. <laughs> she was right. <laughs> so, but I, I had no intention of getting in the wine business. The governor asked me if I'd chair state transportation, which is a volunteer job. I was chairing it when the I-90 bridge sank, which made me decide I don't want to do that anymore. And, uh, and, but Mike Hogue came to me, and I'd known him before, and Mike said, while you were gone, I started a winery. I need help. Well, I joined him at 30,000 cases, and we took it to 500,000. And at that point, uh, I decided it really, it, it was profitable. It was a very good wine for the price, but I could have stayed with the entity I was with. And, and, uh, yeah, I enjoyed heavy construction, and, and this was just turning into more of a job like that instead of fun. So I decided I wanted to, by, Mike had, had talked me into planting vineyards uh, in 1989 was my first vineyard, and uh, that was on a ranch we owned outside of the, of the Walla Walla Valley. I did not know the value of, of AVAs at that time, and I, literally I knew nothing about growing grapes. So I decided I, anybody can grow grapes, which was one of my big mistakes in my life. <laughs> and uh, so I planted on the, on the farm we own, and nine years later, incidentally, I tore that block out, and my wife said, you had your quarter million dollar PhD in grape growing, uh, and I did. I'd spent a lot of money getting that far. And, that but, was in Waitsburg, right? Yes, it okay. was, yeah, up Whiskey Creek. <laughs> oh, okay. And, but in the meantime, uh, in 1991, I planted here in 1989, I and, and several others uh, planted on Canoe Ridge. And out of that, the Shalom Wine Group joined us, and I became chairman of the board of Canoe Ridge for a period of time. I stepped down, stayed on the board, but stepped down from chair when I started my own winery because I didn't want a conflict of interest. And uh, so I decided in 1990, I have to stop and think, 1997 early that I wanted my own winery. And by then, I had. I had Pepper Bridge and Seven Hills were producing, and I uh, called on Tom Eddy, who was the last winemaker at Christian Brothers before it was taken over back years ago. And I'd known Tom. I, I used to spend a fair amount of time in Napa before I was even in the wine business because I like the taste of wine. And uh, so I called on him and used him as a consultant. And literally, uh, we, between us, we designed the flow on this winery. We called an architect in to, to put it together. But I stole all my ideas. This, this winery is very modern, very up-to-date, but it, I stole the ideas from all over the country on it. So 
I don't know, I've, I rambled there on your question. No, that's great. You're yeah. anticipating everything. So, <laughs> so um, Virginia, was she from the area? Virginia is from Pomeroy, which is uh, about 60 miles from here, but I met her here in Walla Walla. Okay. My first wife died very young, and, okay. and I had three children, and, and uh, Jenny had two, so we, we merged families. Wonderful. Okay. There's no Brady Bunch either. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, who were some of the other early winemakers, wine growers that you worked with? Well, when I came back here in 85, uh, there was Leonetti, they called 41, who, and that was Baker Ferguson at that time, and who also was a good friend. And, uh, oh, Rick Small, I was blanking there for a second. Actually, Mike Paul uh, was here also. Mike died some years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, about that same time, uh, Waterbrook started, and I kind of I saw them bring their first label in, so I know I was here before they bottled because I looked at their first label, you know, and they were showing okay. it to me. Yeah, but that that was the group, and as I remember, about five years later, by 1990, we doubled in size. There were ten of us, and we thought we were really going great gun, but uh, by the, I think uh, Canoe Ridge was number eight, if I remember right, mm -hmm. and uh, this was number 18. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we were the only winery south of town. We, we decided we we're going to make a wine. That, this is naivety, so, but at the time, we said we we're going to make a wine so good people will come to us. I shudder now every time I hear that from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Marty was telling us about, um, of Lake Cole, about trying to purchase grapes from you yeah. um, after you had planted and... He, he saw me picking some two-year-old grapes off the, the vines because they slow down the growth on the vines and nobody wants two-year-old grapes, well Marty did. So he said, what are you going to do with those? And so I'm dropping them on the ground. I said, can I have them? And so he made a little bit of wine out of two-year-old grapes. He liked it. And uh, the next year, uh, Baker Ferguson and he caught me and they said, you know, if you would guarantee grapes every year from Pepper Bridge, we'll vineyard designate it, which was a big thing because my, my first vineyard, which is right here behind us, uh, when I planted it in 1999, there were 40 acres in the whole valley, and they were scattered around through the valley. And, uh, and that first block of 10 acres was five Merlot, five Cab, and it went in equal parts to Leonetti, to Woodward Canyon, Nicole 41, and Andrew Will. So I, I picked, without even knowing it, no, I picked kind of the creme de creme of the, of the day. And people tasted their wines and wanted grapes, and I kept planting, and all of a sudden, all the the assets I've retired with, I spread out into other things. I could tell you too, they've all migrated back into one, <laughs> one central area. Yeah. <laughs> well, so do you think your background as a civil engineer is impacted? Uh, I'm a civil out of Oregon State. I'm really a manager. I, I, yes, I'm a, I'm a registered engineer, but I spent all my time in management. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know that um, you were involved in I know the AVA was established in 1984. Yes. And then you were involved in 2001 when it was extended. Chris Figgins and I actually ran the ran the line that set the new. Yeah. Okay. And so, can you tell us about why why you decided at that moment to do that? Yeah, it's on tape, and it's too late for him to do anything. So I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was uh, in '84 when they applied for it, they asked for a big area. And the, the feds looked at it and said, you only have four wineries, you can't justify that. So they gerrymandered around so it caught each of the four wineries and it, it just snaked around through the valley. It made no sense. And 
in the meantime, uh, I think Pepper Bridge was in it, if I remember right, at the time, barely. But uh, we had uh, some other vineyards and wineries coming on that weren't in it. And so I think, if I remember right, there were about uh, six or seven wineries when we decided we were going to do something different and about that number of vineyards. And at that time, we all packed a picnic lunch once a year and went and looked at each vineyard and you know, toured together. And uh, so somebody brought this idea up and I said I'd be happy to help run with it. And Chris volunteered too, but we had 100% of the valley signed on. and. Uh, it still took a couple of years on a lot of phone calls, but we got right down to the final point. I got to know the lady in Washington, D.C. that was handling it extremely well. She was, was trying to help us. And, and uh, she called and she said, we have a real problem. I just realized that, that uh, one spot out of Dixie that you've claimed is outside of the Columbia River Appalachian and you are a sub-Appalachian. You can't be outside the parent. And I said, well, there's a vineyard there, and the guys are starting a winery. We've got to have it in. And he said, oh, well, nobody will ever notice. And she changed the boundaries of the, of the <laughs> Columbia County, or Columbia Valley Appalachian. <laughs> oh, was that Biscuit Ridge? Or? Yes, it was Biscuit Ridge. It okay. was outside. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, I know that now we have the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance. Yes. And the precursor to that was the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Association. Um, so can you tell us about those organizations and what kind of role they have played? Well, I and, so, and a lot of others helped found the Alliance, but I don't remember a Wine Growers Association. Maybe I, I must have been in it without knowing. I think that's probably the group that went around and, right. yeah. Right. It was never very formal, you can tell that. Okay. Yeah. And that's the sense we've gotten from other people too, yeah. people just getting together. It was friendly, I mean, and, and still are. The, the, all of them I know, and I have to admit, uh, you know, I, I chaired the State Wine Commission for four years and, and I said, I think there was 170 wineries when I came on and I said I'm going to, to meet everybody. And it took me two years to go all the way around the state. I never met everybody because they were starting behind me oh, faster yeah. than I could go around. And finally, after four years, I gave up on that effort. But in the same here in town, at that time, I still knew everybody very well. And now I truly have quite a few and I'm ashamed of that, but I just don't have time to get out and right. meet everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so you were chair of the Washington Wine Commission and you were also a member of the Oregon Wine Board. Yes, I'm a founding member of the, of the current Oregon Wine Board. Okay, great, great. The governor asked me if I would go on and, I, and you don't really turn a governor down. David Adelsheim had been talking on me and uh, I said, okay. He said, you have a six-year appointment. I said, you have one year's notice. And that's, that's the way I did. I went on a year to try and give him my thoughts, yeah. Wonderful. I didn't have a lot to do with founding it, honestly. I, I give a lot of opinions. Uh-huh. That's, that's good. Yeah. Well, I know, um, so in 1995, there were 11 wineries in the valley. And then by this year, depending on how you count, around 120 wineries, about 1,600 acres of grapes. Yeah, I, I just saw a list of the bonds and the bonds don't necessarily mean wineries, but they're bonded to make, and it was very close to 140. Okay. But uh, I think there's about 100 wineries open for business, and and the rest of the group, however many there are, are making wine, but they haven't. It hasn't aged enough to come to market, so it's actually growing that fast. 
which is scary. I'm not scared of competition. It's just hard to comprehend after, uh, you know, for years, because uh, I had come off the wine commission. The press would ask me, what do you predict in Walla Walla for the next five years? And every year we'd make it in two years. Wow. And, and when the recession started, they said, what's going to happen? And there I bit my lip and said, I think we'll weather it okay. Well, we weathered it literally without, I mean, we, we lost a couple that just gave up. They mm -hmm. didn't bankrupt. And, uh, mm -hmm. and we came through it actually growing, so. Wow. Yeah, which I would never have predicted. Yeah. I know um, that you are on the advisory committee for uh, the Center for Enology and Viticulture at the Community College yeah. and College Cellars. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit about how having that center here has changed things for the valley. Well, it, it had a lot to do with the number of wineries because a lot of students come through there that decide they're going to stay here and make wine or go to work for somebody to get a little more experience and then stay in the valley to make wine. Uh, the, I'd say the, the current uh, professors there are very good. We, we, we've had real good and you know, like this, but the current are very good. And uh, I see the people hiring, you know, students coming out now. Uh, I think a rising tide lifts all ships. And so I hate to see somebody come out with without previous experience except a couple of years in, you know, in school and then jump right in and try to market wine. And so uh, I really encourage anybody that wants to hire them and give them a chance to learn what they're doing. Because, uh, you know, we cannot compete uh, with Gallo up here. We, we're lucky to get high quality on three and a half tons of the acre, three and a half to four if you want to push it. Uh, Gallo can do 13 ton plus down. And, and we're not going to compete with Chateau St. Michel, and I don't count that. I mean, Chateau St. Michel has been a real boon to the valley, so, or to, to the whole state, so don't get me wrong, but we can't produce like Hogue did and they did and, and compete that way, so we've got to have a niche. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's got to be quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we have a big advantage. I'm, I'm jumping on you here. No, this is great. We, we have a big advantage over Napa uh, in that they're paying 250 to 300,000 an acre for their ground. We're paying 20,000 for the same quality ground. And they've got the price to, you know, to get that return on that. Uh, we have a big disadvantage in that they're well known. Mm -hmm. but. Uh, the Walla Walla Valley has really gained in the last few years. On I go to France about one year and three, and Jean-Francois being from Switzerland right on the border. Uh, is, of course, French is his native tongue. My wife speaks French. I don't, so. <laughs> but uh, you know, the first years I went, I would say, have you ever tried Walla Walla wines? Nope. Washington, nope. And now uh, people shake my hand and say, how are you, Norm? So, I mean, not everybody by a long shot, but, mm -hmm. but it's, and most of that isn't that my name is familiar or famous. They're seeing quality wine come out and any winemaker pays attention to a region that's making quality. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. Well, I know that you, along with Rick Small of Woodward Canyon, were um, one of the leaders in establishing a, a sort of sustainability support group yep. and um, thinking about sustainable viticulture. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Actually, uh, John Francois should get the credit for the idea. Uh, it's the, the IOBC, which is the agency that checks us, is based in Switzerland. And he's from there. So, and, but he's such a believer in it here that 
we separate corks and foil and paper and bottles, you name it, and there is no pickup here, no for separate, so we truck it to the different places and mm -hmm. take it. Yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. Our water here gets circulated out into a pond behind. It's cleaned by a big aerator, goes back to the vineyard, never leaves the site. But we use it, we wash down, it goes out, it gets clean, and just comes back around. So we're, uh, but, and Rick is the other one that stepped up and was very interested in that. Uh, I financed the first two years, betting that it would go, and uh, it did. And so now we and have... I've, and they've paid me back too, so, yeah. Wonderful, and so now we have the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Sustainable Trust. Yes. That, so that was established in 2004. I think you're right. right. Yeah. Okay. John Francois was the head of it for first years, and, and Rick's been since. So, yeah. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the Savane uh, partnership? Sure. Uh, it's, it's obviously it's like Coal Forty One uh, and Leonetti Cellars and Pepper Bridge, if you will. I I actually I have different partners in every entity I'm in, and my family is in almost every one of them. In fact, the, the family now legally owns Amavi. Okay. All I do is finance. They, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but the basic of the three wineries, uh, a partner, Bob Rupar, who is a, a executive VP at Nelson Irrigation, and I started buying ag ground uh, as soon as I retired. And we luckily, because I'm not sure I was smart enough to know the difference at the time, we were buying always irrigated ground. Okay. Now irrigation is very, it's very much a key to whether you can grow grapes in the area. But uh, so Bob Rupar also was a partner in this. And, and when we started, it started, I bought the old original block of Seven Hills, which was 24 of the original 40 acres in the valley in 1994 uh, from Doctors Hendricks and, and uh, McClellan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a very foolish move on both our parts. We agreed that rather than change any names that I would call that original old block Seven Hills Vineyard, they would call the winery Seven Hills Winery. We've got it mixed up with each other ever since. You know, and there's no way now that both names are known to a point you can't make a change. I mean, right, yeah, right. can't afford to make a change. And, and uh, I got it because I was farming 100 acres of apples and grapes right beside it. And Dr. Dr. Hendricks, actually owned the ground. Dr. McCollum was a partner with him in the vineyard. And Dr. Hendricks shared an airplane with me, so we were pretty close. And uh, he said that he really wanted or needed, however you want to put it, uh, to sell some of that ground, but he did not want to kick his son Scott out of his house. And that's 160 acre zoning. And so the way he could get around that, and the only way was to do a boundary line adjustment with me. So you can move a small parcel into another parcel as long as both of them stay over 160. And so I said, that's fine with me, you set the price. So there was never any arguing. He set the price, I, I paid it, and we moved in. Well, in 96, we saw 21 below zero for three days, and my investment didn't look too good. Uh, we did, however, get about 20 pounds of grapes from some of the ends of some of the vines that were under the snow and didn't wow. kill, which is amazing, because I thought everything was coming down. And if you look out in front of the tasting room door as you go out at the Bronx, that is one of the actual vines. I mean, it, the model was one of the actual vines. Uh, and you'll see a big split down the side because 
it, it was 21 below at night, but in the daytime temperature would come up 50 degrees, the sun was shining and there was snow and it was reflecting like a reflector like you used to get a suntan. But, so the sap came up and then it would be a 50 degree instant drop and it just split things open. Wow. And it was still living, but it only, in a diameter about that much, it probably has that much good wood in it, but it was enough that it was still doing grapes. So wow. uh, then the piece of ground that is the current large Seven Hills Vineyard uh, came up in bankruptcy and I made a, a deal to buy it off the bank. And about that time, Marty Club came to me and said he'd like to be a partner. He was buying grapes from me. Gary Figgins was buying grapes from the old block. He came and said he'd like to be a partner. And uh, Bob Ruper uh, said, sure. And so we opened that. Uh, vineyard and planted most of it in 97, 98, 99. And then uh, a few years back, the, the LDS church owned the ground above us, actually surrounded us, but the bad part, they were uphill from us and when their farmer made any mistakes with pesticides or herbicides, they drifted down on us. And so I had tried for quite a few years to buy that piece of ground above us. and. Uh, I had an office in Salt Lake City, so I, I'd worked with the church quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I knew that uh, they, this was a welfare farm, so they changed managers every two years. Okay. And so every two years I went to the new manager and asked if I could buy the farm. And they said, what are you going to do with it? I said, wine grapes. And there's no way. No, we're not going to allow wine grapes. And so uh, I finally found a manager that did not want to be living up here. And he said, well, make an offer and I said I just want that hundred acres this is all or none which was I forget the amount but roughly 2,000 acres and uh, I said it'll be cash he said I know we can do business and so I called the partners and said I did something really dumb would you like to join me and everyone said yes without asking me what I'd done so that's how Savannah came about wow. <laughs> I was quite sure they were going to join me but yeah but they had a choice okay and uh, then we put a lot of money, like $12 million, into developing roads and wells and what have you. And uh, a longtime friend was president of the Westchester Group out of Champaign, Illinois. And they are the largest, uh, the largest uh, entity in the U.S. that handles retirement funds and puts them into ag ground. So if a big entity wants to have a certain percent of their assets in ag ground, they would call the Westchester Group and say, we want to put in $100 million, will you buy land for us? And then they manage the land. And uh, Randall Pope, who was their president, came to me and he bought a couple of pieces from me in the past. And, and he actually uh, had bought all of the land that is south of us right here that has the orchard on it and kind of part of the vineyard because again, it's 160 acre zoning. And, I gave him a tour over the place and he looked at it and he said, well, how can I get in on this? And uh, so the Westchester Group is now a partner and they have a few hundred million, a few hundred billion, I'm sorry, in assets. So that it makes a good, solid partnership up there. And uh, it, it, we'd sold roughly half the property before the recession okay. and we just quit trying to sell during the recession because we had no interest in dropping prices. We had too much invested mm -hmm. and we finally went back on the market a year ago. Uh, we have one sale that I don't really want to name until he finishes up one of the best known wineries in the state. And uh, 
it's, now I think we're probably back on the market looking to mm -hmm. move the rest. And Marty Club did not hurt us a bit with his award in the, because <laughs> that, that is a, a vineyard on the Sylvain group, so. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think I'm going to pass it over to Rachel at this point. <laughs> I got a couple more. You're doing really good. Yeah. All right. So now that we've covered your story and, and some of the origin stories, I want to ask you a little bit about the, the broader region and about Oregon and Washington. And then we have a couple closing questions that are usually fan favorites. Okay. So the first question I have for you is Walla Walla Valley. What is this region known for? What is its identity? You know, it, it's known for quality wine. I mean, they, uh, I give Gary Figgins and and uh, Rick Small 99% of the credit for that because they they opted to start high quality, and as others came in, you know, they stayed up. We have one or two now that are opting for volume versus quality, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what we did at Hogue. It was very profitable, but. Basically, the valley has grown based on, on quality. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's had it known. I mean, uh, every, everybody knows who Gallo is, but nobody's, I'll get shot here. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 quite all right. <laughs> Just let us know if we need to like censor that no, out of the video. <laughs> I'm dumb enough to say that you're going to keep it. <laughs> okay. Uh, would you like to continue, or you want me to jump in? Ask me what the question was again. <laughs> uh, what is the region known for? Oh, what is its identity? It's, it is it is known for quality, and mm -hmm. it's also known by the people that visit it because the wineries are a whole lot of small wineries, and they they usually run into a winemaker owner mm -hmm. you know, as they right. go around. Uh, I just well, this morning they were just telling me they've had New York and Washington D.C visitors both in, and that's not nice. untypical at all in our, our list. It, it would be an unusual summer day that we didn't have two or three from way outside the area. Mm -hmm. uh, but I hear all the time now, we always went to Napa, you know, and right. if you visited there, you know, if you come out of a winery, you can't make a left turn onto Highway 29, it's, it's just too busy, you got to go with the traffic and find a place to turn around. Oh. And that's disillusioning people. No. Mm -hmm. I, I wish I had a tasting room in Napa because you can't keep them away from your door. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that's a short. I think it is. I think it's quality and availability of the, the people in it. Well, I'll back up one more. If you drive here, which I know you have from Seattle over the pass and then across the high desert country, Walla Walla all of a sudden looks very pretty. I mean, mm -hmm. you see trees and stuff again, and the people from the west side. I've grown used to the east side, but people from the west side, they really notice that lack of trees, you know, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a pretty spot. And it, it's the oldest town in the, maybe in the northwest. I know 18, 1890s census had us at like 3,600 people in Seattle, 3,400. Oh, wow. And the territorial governor was here. So it, it's got a history and that fascinates a lot. Well, Whitman College has been there for what, 110 now, or, 1883. So, okay. Right. So, yeah. and the seminary was there before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good history. Yeah. So that's, I think, I'd summarize why I think, you know, it's become mm -hmm. well known. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the strengths and challenges of having a cross-state ABA? None, truly. <laughs> uh, no challenges. No, there truly aren't. Uh, it, 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 there, 
you could say it's a challenge that really never bothers us, but of course, if, if you move a crew member back and forth, he's got an extra tax return to file. I have a tax return to file because I'm, I'm an extra one because I'm in both states. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, no, I, we just we totally ignore the state line. And uh, in about two weeks, the wine, the Oregon Wine Board is coming up and they're going to meet in Milton Freewater and they've extended invitations to all the people up here you know, to come down and drink wine with them and you know, get to know all of them. So, and I have always, I have always pitched when I was on the Washington Wine Commission, the Oregon Wine Board, we should be marketing as Northwest. Yeah. Because I ask people all the time, you know, uh, who's closest to Canada, New Jersey or Delaware? And very few people, they guess, but very few people know. Back there, and I do a lot of time on the East Coast back there, it's the same thing between Washington and Oregon. They know we're out west, but they don't really know. I, I, uh, my brother-in-law was in the hospital for quite a while, and I was visiting him, and got to know the doctor, saying hello to him. And I said, I'm heading home, and he says, Yeah, you live out west, don't you? I said, Yeah. I said, Is that Chicago? Oh. So, but to them back there, we're clean water, clean air. We have wild Indians yet. I mean, there's no question in their minds on that. But we are. We are an entity as Northwest and not, mm -hmm. not as Oregon or Washington. So you know, I'm on my lobbying horse here. But, no, yeah. please continue on the yeah. lobbying horse. <laughs> it, that's kind yeah. of the, what I'm interested in, mm -hmm. especially as the Oregon representative of Melissa uh, and I's partnership, is what is that relationship like? And well, we, we have virtually no competition uh, between the two of us. I mean, grant you Medford area, Ashland has some very good Bordeaux wines, but the bulk of Oregon, and Oregon is known for Pinot Noir. Uh, my first vineyard, incidentally, it was Chardonnay and Pinot, and it was clones out of Dijon. And, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, when I tore it out, I realized that I, we can grow some pretty decent Pinot, but you can't sell Pinot from Oregon, I mean from Washington, because that's an Oregon one. And uh, I have people talking to me once in a while, can I grow Pinot Gris? Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing, it's a, they, they envision this hot country, which it is, so I should be able to get real high tonnage, which I might be able to. I don't have any interest in growing high tonnage, and I don't think that helps the reputation at all. So, mm -hmm. but I, I, that's probably my pitch there. <laughs> Excellent, I like it. Yeah. So we talked about Oregon and Washington and the EVAs. I'd like to get your thoughts on, you know, how, we talked about how much it's grown since when you started to now. Where do you see it going? A projection, if you will. <laughs> I don't see it stopping. I, I tell people that ask that I think if you come on right now, uh, in another 20 years, you're going to be one of the early people. Yeah. Not one of the pioneers. I mean, Gary Figgins' explanation of a pioneer is somebody that has arrows in his back. He's <laughs> <laughs> out front. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, you're, you're going to be recognized as one of the early ones. And, and we're about the stage right now that Napa was uh, in about 1970. I, in 1961, I was working on the Transbay tube. It's my first job out of school with Kiewitz. And, uh, and I used to go up to Napa and I found six wineries. And I was talking to the winemakers at those six, you know, and they're all named wineries. Uh, and then I didn't get back there. I couldn't afford to, and they had me working. Family was growing, but when I, when uh, the Shalom Group joined with us on Canoe Ridge, I started going down uh, on a regular basis. And 
and in the in the early to mid seventies, uh, it was just very comfortable there, like it is here. You weren't crowded. I don't think we're going to get there. And, and I used to see uh, signs, you know, on the bumper stickers, "Let's not be another Napa." But mm -hmm. they have San Francisco, Oakland, Sacramento. All you can you can drive to Napa from any of those for lunch if you want to. And, and uh, mm -hmm. Portland and Seattle, you're going to spend at least two nights. You're going to come over here and spend a night, do some touring, and spend another night. You know? mm -hmm. So uh, I I don't know what the limit is in town or what it can hold. I think we're getting big enough that we're going to get a lot of help from the planning people because they have to step in anytime they see something going on and the restrictions start coming and, mm -hmm. and uh, you've seen it in the valley where I left. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had to fight it. Uh, we had the wheat people saying they did not want us to develop Savane uh, mm -hmm. because it was going to take ground out of wheat if we split up the acreage. They couldn't afford and I don't argue that with them. I don't think they'll go back into wheat. As a matter of fact, they were paying us not to grow wheat on it when we split it up. Uh, it was in fallow you know, ground. But I don't think wheat's necessarily the best use for it either. I mean, and Marty pretty well proved that with you know, what he made there. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't know how I don't know how far it can grow. I I have high hopes that. Uh, somehow Milton Freewater can get on board with it. They are getting enough wineries now that people will drive down. With one or two wineries, you had no hope people came to taste wine. They were going to spend an extra hour going each way. No. But if they can go down there for a day, uh, and, uh, there's some pretty brave souls down there trying to make a living with their winery right now. But mm -hmm. Most of them have tasting rooms up here. Yeah. But I, I think it, it will grow into that area as far as the wineries. I, Walla Walla's got a big head start on motels and restaurants mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that will ever spread down that far, but uh, I would not be surprised to see a couple hundred wineries in this area. I think it's going to start getting crowded somewhere in there. Yeah. Right. And um, no, it's, as long as we're trying to make high-end wines, it'll work, but uh, pretty quick. The biggest thing is going to become how happy you make the people in the tasting room when they come in. You know, you're selling pleasure. When you get when you get 50 and there are easily that many very high-end wines in the valley, you have trouble remembering where you visited even. And uh, if you had a real good time, you remember that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's gonna, you've gotta have the wine, but I think it's gonna shift to pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, about as much prediction as I can give you. <laughs> that was pretty thorough, actually. Thank you. Um, with all of the experience that you've accumulated, what would your advice be to a new winemaker coming on the scene, or what was some of your lessons learned from this? You've got to have financing. Uh, if, if you're coming on, well, I lay it on, I, here's my advice to people coming in. I, I talk to a dozen or so a year and all that yeah. are serious. Uh, one, uh, either go to work for another winery or go through school, preferably uh, you know, a four-year course, but none of these people coming in are going to, they just aren't going to go to a four-year course. Uh, and if you can't do all that, and, uh, and if you don't have a very good palate, hire a good winemaker. And I'm serious on that, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but recognize uh, that if you're going to try to have your own vineyard and your own winery, you better have quite a bit of money because you're, 
most people would prefer to get their money recovered on investment in seven to eight years, and you're going to be 12 to 15 years if you have good luck on. Uh, so uh, just don't come into it thinking it's a way to get wealthy, and don't come to me with a business plan to review. Like I don't see too many anymore. I used to see a lot that I call the Leonetti plan. We're going to make a wine so good we won't have to market. People come to our door. Uh, marketing is. Marketing is what determines whether your winery is successful or not. You have to have good wine to market, but marketing determines whether it's successful or not. Right. And it's not easy, especially if you're an introvert. It's not easy. I'm not an introvert, especially if you are. It's not easy. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, between Melissa and myself, is there anything that we should have asked that we didn't, or any parting thoughts from you? I can't think of anything right quick. Okay. That's all right. I'm not reluctant to say it if I can, but I can't think of anything. Great. Well, thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.